Welcome to Pullback, the podcast where we challenge ourselves to try something new in ethical consumption. Then we tell you what we learned, fuck-ups and all. I'm Kristen Pugh, and I'm here with Kyla Hewson. Hello! So, uh, this episode we're looking at seafood. Uh, got any reflections on seafood before we start? <laughs> Only that I don't want to talk about it because it's one of the very few things that still I let myself eat <laughs> and don't feel bad about. I know. I I feel like um, we kind of ruin all the wonderful things in the world. <laughs> no, it's important. It's good stuff. But but. I just know that you did a whole bunch of research on this a few years ago, and you were like, do you want to know about all of the horrible things that go into fish farms? And I was like, no, I'm just going to eat my sandwich, salmon sandwich over here in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, all right, so why don't we get into it? I think uh, this will probably end up being a two-part episode, I think. Oh, because there's so much wrong with fish? Yeah, it's really... I. When I started doing the research for this episode, I was a little bit worried that it was going to just be a repeat of what we'd already covered with the vegetarianism episode. But but no, the seafood industry is it's fucked up in its own particular beautiful way. <laughs> no. <laughs> cool, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Can we start with my challenge then so that by the end because if we talk about it after we talk about everything I did wrong, I'll feel really discouraged. So it's better <laughs> I go in hopeful. You know, and then you can tell me all of the stuff I did wrong. Sure, that sounds great. So what did you do for your challenge? Um, well, you're the vegetarian. So I remember between the two of us, we decided I should be the one to do like the actual seafood, see if I could find something ethical side of the challenge. Because obviously, ultimately, the most ethical thing to do is to not eat fish. <laughs> yeah, that- not to spoil the conclusion I come to, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even I came to that conclusion, so fair enough. But I decided to challenge myself to see if I could find an ethical fish, basically. And what I decided was that, based on the very limited reading I did, if you go to the bottom of the food chain, it's usually better. Yeah. So I went and bought some anchovies, uh, because I love anchovies. So that was good, except they came from Spain and they didn't have like an MSC logo or anything on them. So I don't know that like they're not local and maybe they're overfished. I have no idea. So that wasn't great. So I decided that I needed to do like a second thing to make up for that first thing where I was like, this is just lazy. So I went to a farmer's market. Whoa, there are farmer's markets open during COVID? BC. (laughs) They're an essential service, actually. (laughs) Not here, they're not. (laughs) Well, it was the first one of the season and everybody's been feeling really cooped up. So even though it was pouring rain outside, everyone was there in our, you know, social distant lineup waiting to go in. And when we did go in, normally I love markets, but I was just very aware of how much space I was taking up with my umbrella and I was stressed out because I knew other people were waiting to come into the market. And I was like, Oh, I can't dawdle because other people are like waiting in the rain. And the faster I leave, the faster someone else can come in. And it just gave me like a a degree of anxiety that I've not experienced at a farmer's (laughs) market before, but it was fine. I found a place that was like a local fishery and they had salmon and I bought a can of salmon and it had the ocean wise label on it, which it's the Vancouver Aquarium. They they kind of slap the label on that, but it's also an institution with no teeth. So I don't know if it's actually good or not, or if it's just there to make consumers feel good about themselves and it's actually doing nothing. I'm sure you'll let me know later. <laughs> but like the can was, it was canned locally and you can't buy their product in stores because it's very much like a small family owned business and I was like well this is about as good as it's probably going to get for me (laughs) do you know was it like um was the salmon from around the area or did they say yes yes yeah yeah it is and it's wild caught so I mean I mean in British Columbia we have a lot of salmon it's like our bears love it you know (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like picturing uh like a restaurant person trying to sell salmon with that pitch. Bears love it. <laughs> so, okay, do you want to go ahead and tell me everything I did wrong there, or <laughs> no? I think you. I think you uh, 
had a lot of the same instincts that people who are concerned about seafood have. And one of the problems we're going to talk about in this episode is that seafood is so opaque. You don't really know what's going on behind the like can of salmon that you're buying most of the time, even if you're trying really hard. So we'll talk a little bit first about what are all the problems in what are all the problems with seafood? Like, why should you be concerned about getting ethical seafood? And we'll talk about environmental factors and human rights and also animal welfare. And then after that, we'll try to give you some tools to do the best that you can. But I think I'm going to have like a big asterisk by this episode, which is that like, you just it's this is one of those industries where it's really hard to know, even if you're trying to do all the right things, you can still accidentally do badly. And to a certain extent, that's not like consumer's fault. That's it has to do with just the structure of the industry and uh, governments not wanting to step up, basically. Cool. This is <laughs> fun <be> times. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> so should we dig into it? Yes, please. Let's get going. Yeah. So um, I think, uh, Kyla, you've told me in the past that seafood is it sort of one of the most common proteins that you eat. Yes, yeah. Um, I still don't eat very much of it, but if I'm feeling like I need a protein hit that tofu just won't like do, then, <laughs> then yeah, uh, I'll I'll reach for usually salmon. I'm a salmon girl. You're sort of not alone. There are lots of people for whom seafood is like a big part of their diets uh, in Canada and around the world. So the seafood industry is large and it's growing as more people are eating seafood every year. And actually, annual fish consumption uh, per capita has increased from just under 10 kilograms in the 1960s to just under 20 in 2012. So it's basically doubled the amount of fish that people are consuming. Uh, and actually, Canadians are slightly higher than that global average. So we eat about 23 kilograms per person per year. And I just found a, a, a fact that I liked. So Americans eat an estimated 17 billion marine creatures every year. Around the world, people are eating seafood in pretty high numbers, so they're, they're not sort of like off the charts there. So fish is a global industry partially because people all around the world eat seafood, uh, but it's also a global industry because it's really like highly traded. So seafood from one part of the world gets exported somewhere else because we sort of have global tastes in what kinds of seafood people want to get. And uh, in some cases, you can only sort of get a species in certain areas. Uh, so yeah, it's um, approximately 200 countries export fish and fishery products. It's very globalized. Um, and I've just, I found some information on Canadian, like when Canada imports seafood products, where are we importing our seafood products from? Uh, and the top five countries are the United States, Thailand, China, Chile, and Vietnam. So that gives you kind of a taste of uh, what are the big exporting countries. But just to note that there are a whole bunch more. And uh, surely anyone with a coastline is exporting fish, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, or even if you're like, if you have freshwater fish, you may be able to export it as well, right? So the fishing supply chain is kind of complicated. It's got four steps. So in the first step, fish and shellfish that are either living in open waters or that are raised in aquaculture um, are harvested and cultivated. Then they get packed and transported to processing facilities. And then in the third step, um, processors convert the fish to consumer products. So you mentioned having canned anchovies and salmon. Uh, so that's one kind of processing. You might also have fish that's uh, in fillets or like fish sticks or that's smoked. Lots of different ways to process it. And in some cases, processing sort of takes multiple steps, um, while in other cases, you literally just have the fish going from the boat to, like, the retailer. So it really depends on what you're consuming. 
Most fish that people get will have been frozen at some point, and oftentimes it's frozen actually just on the boat itself. Um, they found that that's sort of a good way. If you have to be at sea for multiple days, if it's frozen right away, it'll taste fresher because it will only have been unfrozen for a small amount of time. So yeah, after they're processed, uh, fish then go to wholesalers who receive the fish and then distribute it to retailers or to restaurants. And then that's how it ends up with consumers. Remember when restaurants were open? <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I'm sad for more than just the one reason. <laughs> this episode is going to focus just on the first step of the fish supply chain. So what happens when you're cultivating the fish in a farm or like catching it. Um, but we maybe will at some point do an episode on the other steps because they're also important. I just, it was already so much. <laughs> <laughs> Episodes for years. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the first problem, which people will probably heard of, probably will have heard of to some extent is overfishing. Uh, is that something you had encountered in your life or something that you think about a lot? Um, I mean, I definitely know that it's a thing, but I don't really know anything about it. I don't know what species are overfished. I don't know how to tell if the fish I'm buying is overfished. And I don't really know anything, I guess, is <laughs> where I'm going with that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty like common to how it is for most people who consume seafood, right? Like, I mean, there are literal sayings set up around there being plenty of fish in the sea. And <laughs> I don't know. I think you just kind of assume, even if there are some fish that are overfished, that in general, it's probably fine, right? That's at least how like I used to think about it. But it turns out that actually there's a huge problem and we may not have fish anymore if we're not careful. So... Right now, 85% of global fish stocks are overfished. That just seems unsustainable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so overfishing basically means that there's a situation where more fish are being caught than can be replaced through natural reproduction. So there are a few different causes to that, but the primary one is just that we're taking too much fish out of the ocean. There are also like ecological pressures that are being placed on some fish populations, but it's mostly just that we're, we're fishing too much. This is, a, this is a real problem that is going to sort of come to bear fairly soon. There is a, a journal article that was published in 2006 that predicted if fishing rates continue at the same pace, all of the world's fisheries will have collapsed by 2048. <laughs> oh my god Kristen <laughs> our 50s are gonna be so bleak we're gonna be out of water because of the clothing industry everything's gonna be on fire we won't have any fish coral reefs will be dead yeah our 50s are gonna be rough um <laughs> just say that so yeah the problem of overfishing is actually it's so bad that some people have argued that there's a need to give the oceans their own seat at the United Nations which practically seems like it's not going to happen, but... <laughs> <laughs> but also, yeah, it's a good like way to describe like, hey, this is how bad it is, guys. Yeah, that you. I think the idea is that you need... The oceans need to have a vote in some way, which is kind of an interesting argument. But anyway, so the, the global ocean is like really important in supporting all life on Earth. Uh, we know it's a carbon sink, which is one thing, but also oceans cover three quarters of the planet and they contain 80% of all life. So ocean health is a really, really important element of our overall health as a species and as a planet. And although overfishing isn't the only problem happening in the oceans, we've talked about plastic, we've talked about climate change. We've talked about runoff from factory farms on land, like oceans are kind of getting hit on all sides. But overfishing is also a massive problem that's affecting ocean ecosystems. Um, and that's true, especially at the top of the food chain. So the population of large predatory fish has dropped by an estimated 90% since the industrialization of fisheries in the 50s. Whoa, so in 70 years, we've lost 90% of fish that eat other fish yeah and i i don't know i 
that's just a staggering figure for me. It- I, I, I just, if we've lost 90% of them, how are we still eating as much as we are? That doesn't seem like there would be enough for anyone to eat anything at this point. Well, I mean, part of the issue, and this is actually one of the books that I read for this podcast is called Bottom Feeder. And his argument is both, it's sort of a comment on the state of the fish that we eat and also an ethical claim. So the comment on the state of the fish is basically like, well, we're actually already eating our way through the food chain. Um, We've largely run our way through the like apex predators at the top of the food chain. And we're now starting to eat through the ones in the middle of the food chain. And soon we're going to be in a situation, if we don't change our behavior, where the only fish we can really afford to eat in any quantities is basically jellyfish because (laughs) they seem to be the ones that are winning out most from this. Wait, hang on. (laughs) Can we eat jellyfish? I always thought that they were like more water than anything else. Is there a way to like eat a jellyfish? Do they have flesh on them? You can eat jellyfish. I don't know how good they taste or how nutritious they are. Um, And probably some of them might be poisonous. I don't know. They look like something where like if you take it out of the water, it'll just disintegrate into nothing. (laughs) Yeah, That's true. That's true. But yeah, apparently you can eat jellyfish. We just typically haven't because they're not very tasty. But (laughs) (laughs) we're eating our way through all the like the more valuable fish and... Soon it's going to be jellyfish for everyone. Is anyway, it's um, this guy's argument anyway. Okay. And it's it's pretty like logical, right? If you've got 90% of the apex predators gone and we're starting to see a collapse of a whole bunch of other kinds of fish, uh, it's the ones at the bottom of the chain that survive for the most part. And they're the small fish and the jellyfish, basically. Okay, fair enough. So it's important to note that like, Overfishing is super shitty for the environment, but it's also bad for workers. So because fish stocks have been declining, fishing vessels have to take longer and longer voyages to actually go out and find fish, meaning that workers are stuck aboard for really long periods of time. There are actually some really um, sad stories of collapsed fisheries where the government sets a quota and the like. fishermen are basically like, lol, we will never catch this amount of fish because they're not there anymore. Oh, wow. So it's people going from these massively abundant populations of fish to having to take a really long time to find just a meager amount of these same fish. And declining fish stocks also make fish processing an increasingly precarious job, which is a huge problem. Fishing and fish processing for many coastal communities were sort of like the two stable jobs, right? And with both of those kind of going, plus um, with the pollution of coastal ecosystems affecting tourism, if you're in coastal communities that rely on those three things, you're kind of getting hit in a whole bunch of different ways at the same time. So I don't know if you'd ever, I mean, we were in Newfoundland last year, Kyla, and I I don't know if you remembered sort of like the place of cod and the culture there. Nope. (laughs) I was too high. We went straight to a dispensary. (laughs) Yeah. um, I mean, one of the things that we didn't do that um, is like a cultural thing is getting screeched in, which is traditionally done on a cod. You like take screech and you kiss a fish. That's (laughs) the tradition. Newfoundland's fun. (laughs) I said that sarcastically, but they actually are way more fun than every other province. Newfoundland was lit. I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So cod has been super essential. And the Grand Banks cod fishery was like maybe the most plentiful fishery in the entire world. There are stories of like explorers coming to Newfoundland and like just massive amounts of fish like diving out of the water and the um, explorers just being totally overwhelmed by how much fish there was. And yet now there's basically no cod in Newfoundland um, in the Grand Banks fishery um, because there was a collapse in the early 1990s. So that had a huge impact on the local population. Um, It put between 40,000 and 50,000 people out of work when that fishery collapsed. Um, And 
I mean, if you take that and then expand it out to the rest of the world, uh, fishing is actually central to the livelihood and food security of about 200 million people. So we're talking about something that's important for the environment, but where people also have a huge stake. And of course, the, the seafood themselves, you know, the fish themselves. Yeah, but I mean, if anyone's argument was, I don't care about fish, they're basically the bugs of the sea, which is what I have been heard saying before. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's not just the animal cruelty side of things. It's It's everything. Yeah. So overfishing is partially a governance problem, which is the most boring kind of problem, but... It- and yet also the most common (laughs) yes so a huge source of um where overfishing is coming from is something called illegal unregulated and unreported fishing or iuu fishing so it's really difficult to tackle these kinds of fishing because basically most of the ocean is international waters right and so it's basically Anybody can move freely through international waters and it's a commons. So it's really hard to regulate it. You can't set quotas on it in the same way that governments do. Um, And so for that reason, people often sort of refer to overfishing as a case of the tragedy of the commons, right? Because if you're an individual fisherman, um, you might have an incentive to overfish because you want to bring back more money when you come back to shore. Even if collectively, everybody, including you, has an incentive to see that there's responsible stewardship over that, like, fishery. I mean, people are notorious for seeing the immediate problem and not the problem ahead. Like, oh, that's a problem for future me. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, governments, in theory, can do something by setting quotas, which they do, but not very well. Um, So in domestic waters, it's a little bit of an easier situation to handle. But if you're trying to get a handle on that on international waters, you have to come up with an agreement that enough countries can sign on to for it to become international law. And that can be really tricky to achieve. So that's kind of the argument for giving the oceans a UN seat. But yeah, it's um, illegal, unregulated and unreported fishing accounts basically for 30% of all fishing activity worldwide. So it is a sizable portion of the fishing that occurs. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. And um, part of the like the connection with that is because so much of the fishing that happens is unregulated, illegal, or unreported, you then create a situation where you can have a lot of fraud that happens. And so seafood fraud is the next thing that I want to talk about. How confident do you feel when you get fish that you're getting what you're what you want (laughs) well (laughs) seafood fraud is a thing i do know is a is is a problem like that is one where i'm like i recognize that so not super confident but mostly i eat salmon and i feel like there's not a lot of other things that can masquerade as salmon so oh oh no Oh no, I felt really confident before. <laughs> if I was buying a white fish, then I was like, who knows what this is? But salmon. I sometimes artificially color it. <laughs> what? Really? But salmon yeah. has a flavor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, they color it? That's. That's wild. <laughs> that's, it seems like more work. Or farms, you don't know because that's another instance of seafood fraud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The point is that. Um, A lot of the seafood that people are getting, it's not really what it's being labeled as. So there was a recent investigation that was done in Montreal that found that more than half of the samples they looked at were mislabeled. More than half? Yeah. Wow. So for 61%, they were mislabeled in some ways. So it might have been that they were like, they said it was Atlantic salmon, but it was really Pacific salmon, or they said it was wild caught, but it was really farmed. And then a full 34% were actually just totally different species than they were advertised as being. Holy shit. Well, and in Montreal, like that's, that's Canada and I would expect better from Canada. So it just means that everywhere is probably super fucked. It's true. Yeah. So they estimate that about 30% of seafood products are mislabeled globally. And 
you know, it's hard to know whether that's an accurate representation too, because there's so much um, lack of transparency happening globally. So it may actually be higher than that. So why is it so high? Um, as fish markets have globalized, uh, so too have the supply chains for fish. Um, and the result has been a sort of notoriously opaque system where weak governance um, allows for seafood fraud to just sort of go wild. And I mean, another important aspect of it is that consumers just don't really know much about seafood. And seafood's such a wide category of animals that, you know, in American supermarkets, there are something like 350 different species that are sold as seafood. So like, it's unreasonable to expect consumers to have memorized all of us. Yeah, I mean, I can't tell the difference between fish at all. So yeah, <laughs> I thought I recognized salmon, but apparently not. <laughs> yeah, so seafood fraud's pretty easy. Um, I'm going to go through a couple of the common ones. Uh, but before I do that, I want you to just Google monkfish for me. Okay. <laughs> uh, we don't eat this monster, do we? <laughs> Can you describe what you're seeing? Um, uh, <laughs> this might be the ugliest fish I've ever seen. <laughs> this looks like it's okay. First of all, it's okay. How do I describe this? It looks like a thumb that is 50% mouth. <laughs> like 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 if a like if a like if a stingray had a baby with a nightmare and it just came out as just this wrinkly gray tooth machine. What is this thing? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a monkfish. Another important thing to mention about monkfish is uh it's it got like a little antenna with like flesh. That's how it hunts. Oh. Just to make it even more gruesome. Oh, yeah. I don't I know if that. all the pictures have it, but yeah. Yes. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So they basically like the little flesh like hangs um, from this antenna and it's supposed to attract smaller fish that are going to try to eat it. And then it like snaps them up. Oh, so. that's like the fish in, in Finding Nemo. You remember that one? <laughs> is that is that a monkfish? No. That's the one where they like, it's dark and the thing has a light on its head and... Oh, no, that's an anglerfish. Why do you know so much but... about fish? <laughs> <laughs> For this episode, Kyle. Oh, yeah. She, she learned all 350 species of fish. I, I definitely did not. But I did uh, I did research some of them because some of them are pretty gnarly. Did you did you just look up the ugliest fish? You, ugh, I just Googled pictures of anglerfish and they're even scarier than they were in Finding Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> they genuinely look exactly like that cartoon. I thought they'd exaggerated the look of it because, like, it was a cartoon, but this doesn't look like a thing that should be real. <laughs> yeah, I think anglerfish exist, like, at really deep depths. But anyway, I, as far as I know, we don't eat anglerfish, but maybe we do. Uh, monkfish, though, are oftentimes passed off as lobster, so it was one of the reasons I gave it to you. Oh. They don't, they don't look at all like lobster, but apparently they taste somewhat similar. What is the rule? Like the uglier the fish, the tastier it is. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Just body shaming all the fish. Pilot. You're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Beauty is subjective and I should take a step back on this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like monkfish at first was known as like, um, like a food that you really didn't want to eat. And it was incredibly cheap to buy because basically why would you buy it it look just looking at it is poisoning me <laughs> <laughs> yeah but the weird thing is now it's actually overfished um and it's had like a huge price increase because it's been used as like a lobster substitute and it's become fairly popular actually julia child popularized uh the monkfish so you can blame her for the fact that you're looking at that image wait what what <laughs> How? <laughs> she just decided that she's like, monkfish, they're going to be a thing. And then she like cooked them and then suddenly they were a thing. You can't afford lobster like I can, but you can't afford this cheap alternative. Basically. Oh, yeah. boy. Yeah, um, but now monkfish are not cheap anymore. And that's because they're being overfished because that's what humans do, I guess. So yeah, some other common frauds in Canada, if you're buying cod, it's often actually haddock. 
Red snapper is oftentimes either red sea bream or tilapia. Grouper, which I don't really know what this is, but apparently like in the south, it's a popular fish you put on like sandwiches. Um, it's often mislabeled um, and it's actually what you're buying is catfish, um, which you're being literally catfished. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the last one is uh, quite often if you're buying something that's labeled as wild caught, it can actually be farmed fish. So even if you're trying to be really good, um, you can get fucked. How did they get away with that? That is so slimy. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I mean, basically it's just unregulated. So actually fish products are less regulated than even like land-based animals. So the shit that goes on in the seafood industry in a lot of cases would not get a pass if it was like cows or chickens or pigs. Well, I mean, that's because land-based animals exist inside of governments and fish do not. So I guess, how are you supposed to control that? Yeah, I think it's also because, um, I mean, factory farming is a nightmare. So I'm not going to say that like um, land animals have it good, but I think people <laughs> do off often think of fish as like, a thing that's so dissimilar from themselves that they don't really care what happens to them. So, I mean, all you have to do is look up the picture of a monkfish to recognize <laughs> why people feel that way. <laughs> yeah. Also, it's like um, fishing is kind of more like hunting for the most part than it is like farming, although that's changing really quickly. So to a certain extent, maybe that's partly why it hasn't been regulated as much. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of fraud and it's partially because the stuff that's caught is coming from international waters and being unreported and um, brought in illegally. And it's partly because across the supply chain, you don't have traceability, um, which basically means that like, if you're buying fish from a supermarket, you don't know like what fishery it was from or where it was processed or anything like that. So that really limits the ability of consumers to actually know what really is the fish that they're buying and was it sustainably fished? Is it actually the species I wanted to purchase? Yeah, <laughs> like, yikes. Basic questions. So one partial solution to this is, um, is buying fish that's got a sustainability label that has a traceability standard. So that makes you makes whatever fisheries certified actually do like a chain of custody so that they can see what happened at every step of the supply chain. Um, so if you have a, like a, a, a sustainability label that is a good one um, that's on the fish that you're buying, you have some sense that what you're buying is actually what you think you're buying. Um, but seafood mislabeling does still happen occasionally under the scheme. It's just a lot less common. Uh, so that's one solution, but it does have its limits. So ultimately, what's probably going to be needed is government regulations and then um, also like some sort of international agreement. So we will see if the world gets less fucked up than it is. Um, maybe that'll happen. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we're going to have to literally run out of fish before any of that happens. But maybe I'm just a pessimist. Which might happen. So great. Jellyfish for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> So the next thing I want to talk about is the environmental effects of fishing. So in addition to overfishing, sustainability also is about the broader environmental impact of fishing processes. So for example, if gear gets lost in the fishing process or if fishing like destroys different parts of the marine environment, for example, if you're dynamiting a fish, which is a thing, that can cause sort of more widespread damage than just overfishing that one specific species. Yeah, because then you're killing everything that happens to be nearby, right? Like, Yeah, and possibly like some fishing methods just completely fuck up coral irreparably. So stuff like that. So commercial fishing gear is becoming a lot more efficient from one perspective, but also a lot less efficient from another perspective. It's more efficient in the sense that these modern fishing boats with all of their devices are really great at finding and catching the fish that they want to catch 
and they can catch a pretty good amount of them. The downside is that they're doing a lot of damage to the environment in a lot of cases, and also that they catch a lot of unwanted species in the process, and those species end up as something called bycatch. And bycatch basically is just the fish that the fisherman was not going for that then gets tossed overboard, either dead or dying. And usually they don't survive that process. That's pretty traumatic, I can't imagine. (laughs) Yeah. So bycatch can, it can vary a lot depending on how fishing is done. So some fishing methods, like if you're harpooning a fish, no bycatch because you're just harpooning the fish you meant to harpoon. It's basically not a thing with that method. Uh, But there are other methods where bycatch can be a huge problem. So, for example, in the case of shrimp trawling, so I'll talk about what trawling is a little bit more. um, But in that specific example, the bycatch ratio is 14 to 1. So for every one thing that you want to catch, there's like 14 other things that you're killing. It's not at all sustainable in addition to like the disregard for life. Yeah. It involves. So I, I mentioned dynamite already, which I think everyone just instinctively knows is like not probably a good way to catch fish. <laughs> it's not good for the environment. But some of the other really bad ways to to fish includes dredging, bottom trawls, and drift nets. So I'll talk about bottom trawling a little bit more. What bottom trawling does is it basically turns the bottom of the sea into something that looks either like a like a parking lot or like a plowed field. It basically like it drags a net along the bottom of the ocean and it like will bulldoze over coral reefs and destroy any other kinds of seabed um, ecosystems that are happening there. It also stirs up a lot of sediment that can make the area actually unlivable for some species. So for that reason, some people have called bottom trawling the marine equivalent of clear-cutting a rainforest. Um, So bottom trawling is among the worst methods, and it's sort of notorious because it does that, but um, none of those methods that I mentioned above are good, and uh, also there are a whole bunch of other fishing methods that also suck. It's just like so. needlessly destructive when we live in a world with technology, right? Like, there must be better ways by now. Yeah, and it's because the only imperative that fishers need to abide by is getting as much fish as they can. They're not being made responsible for protecting the environment. They're not being made responsible for paying for the the bycatch or whatever. Um, So the bottom line is get as much fish as you can, and it doesn't really matter how harmful it is. So there is a little bit of hope um, for consumers to sort of change practices. And one of those is uh, something called dolphin safe. Um, Have you ever heard about you know, dolphins getting hurt by fishing of any kind? Yeah, I remember it was a big thing a few years ago. I remember when I was a kid, something about like, they got mixed in with salmon. Like, did we accidentally eat them? Or did they wind up in the tuna cans? Or or what happened? I don't know. Definitely. Um, so they we didn't end up eating them. But basically, <laughs> that's, what I, yeah. that's what I thought when I was a kid, because it was such a big deal. I was like, are we eating dolphin? That's what I like you were talking about. Um, <laughs> Like faux fish, like, oh, this is tuna when secretly it's dolphin. That's what I've always kind of thought. <laughs> yeah, as far as I know, we weren't actually eating dolphins, oh, well, but dolphins uh, were slash possibly still are, I'm not sure, um, being sort of like brutally drowned in something called purse-sane nets. Um, so I don't know if you've ever had like a, a change purse where you like pull a drawstring and it closes. yeah. Purse-sane nets, as far as I understand, they're basically like that. Um, They, like, encircle a school of fish and then um, suddenly they're trapped. So what was happening um, is that dolphins were getting drowned in these nets. And uh, there's actually a biologist that filmed it happening. And the footage of these dolphins just, like, shrieking in pain as 
nylon nets tore away their fins. Ugh. It really affected people. Yeah, no kidding. Like I have not <laughs> seen that footage and I'm affected. Yeah, so it it had made a huge change almost overnight. People saw the footage and they associated it with tuna fishing and so they decided they weren't going to buy tuna anymore. Um and that was maybe the first seafood consumer movement that was actually successful in some sense. It questionable how successful it was because there's actually like a dolphin safe label that then was the subject of a trade dispute. Um, (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) it's the whole thing, but, (laughs) but yeah, there are some efforts to make sure that if you're fishing for tuna, you're doing it in a way that isn't killing dolphins. So there is some hope that if consumers can get the right information, they can push the industry to change. So feel empowered that you can use this information to, make a difference i don't know people only care about dolphins (laughs) no one's going to be empowered to change anything on behalf of that ugly ass monkfish (laughs) yeah monkfish might be screwed (laughs) (laughs) but i don't know like lobsters are cute i think Uh, in their like little buggy way (laughs) just me okay (laughs) fair enough the broader point of this section being that Fishing has a lot of environmental impacts beyond just overfishing a particular species and that the method that's being used to fish makes a huge difference in determining how much environmental harm is done. That's really good news because it means that we can ask fishers to use less harmful methods. But the problem is without like government regulation and without the push of consumers and without more transparency so that we can do those things. Fishers really have no reason to pick those less efficient but more environmentally friendly methods. So, boo hiss. Uh, do you want to talk about aquaculture for a bit? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we've talked about overfishing and it's a problem. So, so you'd think farming would be better, right? Right? Yeah, you'd think hey, you know, here's a species that's almost extinct um, or, you know, that's in danger of that happening. What if we just raise them all in a controlled environment like we do with cows? There are lots of cows around. They're not going extinct anytime soon. And that's basically the idea behind fish farming. And uh, because it's set up in a similar way to factory farms, it has a lot of the same ethical harms. So, I'll talk about what aquaculture looks like, but if you're thinking like, oh yeah, I remember like these environmental and like animal welfare harms, they'll be pretty familiar to you from factory farms. But um, aquaculture is actually like a hugely growing part of the way that we ingest seafood. So it's really important to talk about. So in 1970, uh, aquaculture contributed about 3% of the world's seafood. So like barely anything. And uh, today, it's more than 50%. So. Wow. Yeah, it's most of what we're consuming is farmed fish, not wild fish. That's huge. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is just a fun fact that I found. The uh, weight of farmed fish exceeds the weight of beef that's produced every year. Whoa. Cows are so big. That's so many fish. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I'm laughing. That's so sad. (laughs) <laughs> oh man yeah so I found a description of fish farms that I thought was pretty useful because for me anyway it was really hard to conceptualize what they might be like yeah I don't know if that's yeah so here we go in the fjords and coastal inlets along the coast of Norway Britain Iceland Chile China Japan Canada the United States and many other countries Cages or nets that may be more than 200 feet long and 40 feet deep have been lowered into the sea and secured to platforms from which workers feed the fish. With salmon, 50,000 fish may be confined to each sea cage and a stocking density that is equivalent to putting each 30-inch salmon into a bathtub of water. Oh. So that's not a lot of space for salmon to swim around in, and it's a lot less than they're used to having. Yeah. And that's not unique to to salmon. Um, Most fish farming operations involve 
fish being in really cramped quarters. Which is like, it's obviously a problem from like a cruelty perspective, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um, but there are also a bunch of environmental harms that are associated with fish farming that um, I wanted to talk about now. That's okay. Great. What a treat. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, farmed fish um, require a lot of fish feed, which it might not seem like a problem, but when you think that like, a lot of the fish that are overfished are carnivorous fish. And so a lot of the fish that are farmed as a result are carnivorous fish because they're the fish people want to eat, but that we can't get through normal means. So you've suddenly got to feed all these carnivorous fish other fish. So where <sighs> yeah. do you get the other fish? Of course. You overfish the other fish. Uh, everything is broken. I know. Yeah. So it's like, um, even though fish farming is presented as the solution to overfishing, it's actually causing a greater problem to overfishing. So fuck. So the second problem is that fish farming for that same reason is not very carbon efficient. So whereas, um, you know, a wild salmon is going to go out and just swim and catch its own food. Um, so its carbon budget's pretty low. Fish farmers actually need to go out and get fish meal uh, using fossil fuel powered boats. And that is not carbon neutral. Yeah, of course. Or anywhere close to it. So fish farming, not great for climate change. Fish farming can also cause harm to the wider environment through farm waste, chemicals, disease, and parasites. So... <laughs> I don't know if you remember uh, our sugar, or I guess it was the food episode that we released as a bonus. With Lex? Where she was talking about sea, sea lice. lice. Yeah, and she was like, we were like, fish don't have hair. How do they have lice? And she's like, oh yeah, it just eats the flesh off the fish. And I was like, what? Uh... <laughs> yeah, so that's like fundamentally a problem of fish farming. Sea lice and also like other diseases and parasites um, end up in these farmed fish a lot. Yeah, you can't social distance if you're all crammed <laughs> together in a tiny space. That's very true. Very relevant uh, <laughs> cultural <laughs> drop in there. <laughs> so yeah, there are, in addition to like sea lice and other things like that, there's also high concentrations of like fish, fish feces and like food waste that end up getting discharged into the water that's around the sea cages. Oh, and in like way higher concentrations than the ocean can probably handle. Yeah, it's like not great. <laughs> it's a lot of fish poop. Yeah, the World Wildlife Fund actually, they did a calculation of the fish feces discharged um, from salmon farms in Scotland. And they found that it produced the same amount of waste as 9 million people. That's more than the population of Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> I know. There's more poop coming out of Scotland from fish than from people. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's super fucked. The pollution from fish farming can also affect the people that inhabit coastal areas. Um, you know, as you can imagine, if there's fish shit everywhere, not great. For example, in 1996, a group of activists in India actually won a cl class action lawsuit against shrimp farms. Um, and that was on the basis that these farms had basically like fucked up the livelihoods of these coastal communities. So it is a real concern, again, not only for the planet and animals and the environment, but also for people who are connected to those ecosystems. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And so also similar to factory farming on land, uh, because fish are so crammed into these feedlots, uh, fish actually need to be given antibiotics. Um, and those also leach into the water and cause environmental problems. So it's not great. Another problem with uh, fish farms that doesn't really happen on land as much um, is that, you know, sometimes uh, a predator will break into the net of a fish farm or sometimes a storm will cause a hole and then you get like a bunch of the farmed fish escaping I mean, that sounds dope. That sounds like, <laughs> get out of there, guys. Run for it. 
Yeah, I'm like on the side of the fish on this, but they also kind of fuck up the ecosystems around them. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So there's a, an estimate that as many as half a million farmed salmon escape every year, for example. And what happens when they escape is that they can actually infect wild fish with disease and parasites. So like, bring back our old friend sea lice. Uh, Ugh, <laughs> young gross. wild salmon uh, now have sea lice in rates that are 73% higher than previously. Whoa. And sea lice sound awful. So they, yeah, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pullback against sea lice. <laughs> Controversial from An anti-sea lice podcast. So some kinds of aquaculture operations are better than others. Um, in fact, oyster and mussel farming seem to be relatively benign. So if you're looking at getting either of those farms, you probably don't have too many issues with it. And in fact, like because oysters and mussels, they like filter things like algae out of the water, they basically clean the water. So there's an argument to be made for actually like you should have a bunch of oyster and mussel farms because they would potentially clean up really polluted water areas. But they seem to be like the exception to the rule that mostly fish farming is really shitty for the environment. Um, so that was the, those were the only examples of good fish farms that I could find. For the most part, they kind of, they just wreck things. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So I think at this point we should maybe wind down and go to our, and switch to part two. Yeah, definitely. I need to go lie down after this. So that's perfect for me. <laughs> um, do we have a call to action? I mean, this was a pretty bleak episode with not a lot of positivity. I don't know if there's is there anything anyone can do about any of this? Um, I guess maybe tell your MP that you want the oceans to have a UN seat. <laughs> <laughs> that's always our call to action. Email your MP. <laughs> so I'll go do that, and then I'll lie down, and then we'll record the next part of this episode, which will hopefully have a little bit more in it for consumers that, like, we can pay attention to to be better. It definitely will. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So you guys can tune into the next episode. It You don't want to just end on this one because it's just halfway through a very sad story, and you got to just keep going, right? Get through it. Yeah, and there's so much more gruesome description of fish deaths that we have yet to talk about. Perfect. You guys need to join in for that so that <laughs> I am not alone in experiencing this knowledge. If you guys want to reach out to us before that episode comes out, you can hit us up on Twitter at Pullback Podcast. We are also on Facebook and Instagram, but we're a little bit more active on Twitter. So if you want to add us, we are there. And we, we don't yet have TikTok because... We're, We're too, too old. old. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you on the next one. Maybe... We'll no, I was going to make a pandemic joke. I'm not gonna <laughs> <laughs> it's too soon. Too soon. Yeah, it's by definition too soon. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh <laughs> Hi, it turns out this is how we get cancelled. <laughs> <laughs>